Good morning. Great to see all of you here today. For those of you watching on New City Live, grateful to have you wherever you might be joining us. Um, how's it feel to be overcomers? You overcame two blizzards this week if you're in the Charlotte area. And we're gathered here today. And I want to start by saying a big thanks to our teams, our facility teams at our locations for working hard yesterday and today to get our campuses ready and to be able to gather together. And uh, we don't take that for granted. So thank you so much, guys, for your hard work. We're continuing a series that we started two weeks ago, which feels like uh, a couple months ago. Uh, so we'll kind of do a little bit of a reboot here today of the book of Ephesians. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, if you have a phone and you have the New City app, I want to encourage you to turn it on, turn, turn it open to the book of Ephesians, and you can be making your way uh, to chapter one. And if you've missed the first two installments of the series, you can always go to newcity.us um, and catch up. But let me share an illustration. If you missed last week, and even if you heard it, it's probably worth hearing again because it's a back to the future illustration. Uh, I'm a child of the 80s, and so Back to the Future was and is one of my favorite movies. And when you think about Back to the Future, maybe you should think about the book of Ephesians in context because there's such a great history as we look back at how the church came about in the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And you can read that beginning in Acts, the 16th chapter. But what you may not realize is that as they begin that missionary journey, they stop in a couple of familiar places. One of them is Lystra, and they meet a young man named Timothy. And Paul, Acts 16, verse 3, invites a young Timothy to, to join the journey. And we talked about that little phrase as we joined the journey of walking through the book of Ephesians together. And I hope you were able to get an outline on your way in today. If not, grab one at the door. It walks you through all the messages uh, from now until June as we uh, journey through the book of Ephesians. But Timothy is invited to join a team. He's in, invited to join this journey that eventually uh, results in the planting of a church in the great city of Ephesus that would become uh, the church at Ephesus. But what you may not know is that young man that was invited by Paul and his team to join the journey eventually became the senior pastor of the church at Ephesus. And, you know, I don't know if you remember a time in your life where someone invited you to be a part of something. They saw something in you. Uh, they might have believed in something before you believed. Everybody needs people in their life that see God's future and God's work in your life, even sometimes before you can see it, and begin to speak those words of life to you. And Paul and his team invite Timothy to, to join them, and then full circle, he becomes the pastor of this great church and, uh, of, of which the letter is, is written to that we're studying. So if we look at the past, it's just kind of a cool thing to think about the people now in your circle that you're investing in, who knows the places that they'll go and what, and what God will do through their, their life. It's why we have such a great emphasis at New City on the next generation of our church. And the greatest gift that we can give to a time that many of us will not see is the next generation of Christ's followers to carry Jesus into the future. But there's also a future that's mentioned in the context of the church at Ephesus. Uh, the past is, you know, see, seeing Timothy and so many other people invited to be a part of this journey, and that's important. But as you look to the future, some 30 plus years into the future from when the book of Ephesians was written, the apostle John becomes the senior pastor at Ephesus. Did you know that? John the evangelist who wrote the gospel, who wrote several other letters, he becomes the senior pastor. And he also wrote the book of Revelation. As, he, uh, as it's revealed to him uh, from Jesus. 
And in the book of Revelation, there's these sets of seven. The number seven in the scriptures is the number of perfection. And there's these sets of seven that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. And the first set of seven is to the seven churches. And guess what the first church that's mentioned in the first set of seven in Revelation is? Revelation chapter two. Ephesus. And so John receiving this revelation, speaking on behalf of Jesus, begins in the future to, to speak to the church at Ephesus. And Jesus says through John, I have this one complaint about you guys. I have this one rebuke, this one thing that I want to correct. You guys are, you're, you're, you endure, you've worked hard. There's great things about your church, but I have this one thing that I want to mention. You've lost your first love. You don't love me and other people the way that you used to. And this is so important in the context of the book that we're studying. Because as we think about the themes of Ephesians, and if you're taking notes, maybe just, maybe just write these two phrases down. The first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are what? It's what we believe. Remember we talked about it's doctrine, it's belief. It's, it's being grounded and rooted in truth. And this is so important for us today as we live in a world awash in relativism that says that there is no truth, that you can't know anything. Paul says, here's what we believe. Here's what we base our life on. Everyone is believing in someone or something, guys. Every single one of you today is believing in someone or something. Paul says, it's so important that we believe in truth. And here's the truth. Chapters one through three, the book of Ephesians. But he says, it's not only what we believe. Remember the second, the second theme of Ephesians? It's how we what? It's how we live, which gets to this precursor that, that, that John writes on behalf of Jesus to the church. You're believing the right things, but you're not living it out in love. You're not loving me and other people. What's the greatest commandment according to Jesus? Love God, love other people, love your neighbor as yourself. And what does John say on behalf of Jesus? You, you, you're not loving me and you're not uh, loving other people. So your belief and what you believe about me is not, is not evidencing itself in the way that you live. These are both so important to the Christian faith. What we believe and how we live. And guess what? Ephesians uh, is six chapters. The first three chapters are what we believe. And the last three chapters, four through six, are how we live. That's how important this all is. And so we're in the section on what we believe in chapter one. Hopefully you've made your way there. We, we opened up two weeks ago with Paul's simple greeting, two verses, Ephesians uh, chapter one, verses one through two. And he uses this little key phrase in, in, in verse two, you remember? Grace and peace. Now you could, he uses that in seven different letters that he writes. Paul writes half the New Testament. And in seven of the letters that he writes, he uses that little phrase, grace and peace, as the introduction. And so you could skip over that real quick and go, let's get to the good part. But that is the good part. Because in that little phrase, grace and peace, Paul is inviting both Jews and Gentiles to listen to the truth of the gospel. And you say, well, how do we get that? Well, grace was the common greeting in the Greek language. It meant literally greetings. Peace, shalom, was the common greeting in the Hebrew. So as Paul and his team went to all these different cities and they started in the synagogue and then they went to the marketplace and the Areopagus and all these incredible places and preached the truth of the gospel, they're inviting both Jew and Gentile into the truth of who God is. And you say, well, why is that important? Because that's why we're here today. Because we were engrafted in and invited into the truth of the gospel. That the gospel is not just for one race or one people, it's for all 
people, every man, woman, and child. And so our job now as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus, the truth of the gospel. So in that simple greeting, grace and peace, Paul is inviting everyone to sit on the edge of the seat. So let's just scoot up a little bit on our seats and lean into this truth. And then he writes perhaps the greatest run-on sentence of all time. Verses 3 through 14. You remember this? If you watched online last week, you can go back and listen again. Verses 3 through 14. Paul just, it's almost like he just, I don't have time for punctuation. I just got to tell you how blessed we are as a people who follow Jesus. And so verses 3 through 14 is this incredible um, description of every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. And I taught last week that that phrase in Christ is used 11 different times in verses 3 through 14. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Do you think Paul is trying to get something across to his audience, to us? That our blessing, blessing is not hashtag blessed because I made every green light on the way to church this morning or we didn't hit any ice. No, we are blessed in Jesus. And so now we don't have to ask God to be blessed because we are blessed. We just simply thank him for the blessing. That in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. And so Paul gets even more descriptive. He says, you remember, he says, we've been chosen for adoption by the Father. And then he says, we've been redeemed for unity by the Son. And we've been sealed by the Spirit for an inheritance. That the Spirit both seals us, but it's also a first deposit on many blessings to come throughout eternity. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus, everyone listen to this that Jesus is going to spend all eternity showing you his love. And you go, well, wait a second. We can look at the cross and we can see how much Jesus loves us. Absolutely. But Jesus says, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm going to spend all eternity showing you how much I love you. And that, that love and that blessing is sealed by the Holy Spirit, that first deposit of many more blessings to come. And in this, last week we talked about this is the full work of the Trinity. Did you know the, the word Trinity doesn't appear in the New Testament? But the Trinity appears in the New Testament over and over and over and over again. And this is one of the Trinitarian passages in the scripture, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. All three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are part of every spiritual blessing that we have. Okay, so that's just the first 14 verses. And then we get to verse 15. Look at it, look at it with me. And if, if verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians 1 were the greatest run-on sentence of all time, maybe the second greatest run-on sentence of all time, run-on, verses 15 through 23, because it's one sentence in the Greek. Again, Paul, I don't have time for punctuation. Now I want to tell you, not only every spiritual blessing that you have, 3 through 14, now I'm going to finish chapter 1 by telling you how I pray. I want, to, I want to model for you what it means to pray, the power of prayer. So this little, if you're taking notes, verses 15 through 23 is 169 words in the Greek, okay? But there's two words in the Greek that appear three different times. And it's our bottom line today if you're taking notes. These two words that, are, that really predicate the whole passage, verses 15 through 23, which again is one sentence. The two words are, I pray. Verses, uh, verse 16, verse 18, verse 19, Paul writes, I pray, I pray, I pray. Now, here's the thing. For many of us with prayer, we get confused, even if you've been following Jesus for years, you get frustrated, you get stuck. How do I pray? 
You know, and if you feel that way today, you're not alone. Guess who else wondered how to pray? The disciples. Remember, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. We watch you every morning go into private places. We watch you in front of people pray and we listen to you. Teach us how to pray. And we talked about what is the maybe the most effective way to learn how to pray. If you're frustrated with your prayer life, if your prayer life is non-existent, if you feel stuck in your prayer life, how do we pray? What's What's the best way to learn how to pray? We listen to other people who know how to pray. That's what the disciples did. Teach us to pray, Jesus. We want to listen to you. And Jesus begins to teach them the disciples' prayer, better known as the Lord's Prayer. And now Paul's going to write his prayer for us. And he's going to teach us how to pray. He says these three things. I pray this, I pray this, I pray this. So if you're able, would you stand your feet with me uh, and let me read God's word to you today. This, This prayer that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus. And it's also meant to be a model for us of how to pray. So I'm going to break it down and teach it to you once we read it together. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, the word of God to you today. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Verse 18, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Verse 19, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It, has, it is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. The word of God to you today. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So Paul uses that little phrase, those two words. And if you're taking notes, maybe just write those two words in your notebook or wherever you keep your, your notes. And I, I want to just encourage you, okay, just pro, pro tip here, um, to get a moleskin, to grab a New City notebook, to bring something that you can keep your, your notes in. You know, sometimes we, we just, we pray, God, just, just uh, tell me this, to speak to me, speak to me. And a lot of times, here's the deal, guys, if you're like me, God's already told me right? So I can go back and look at his word, or I can look at something that I wrote down and I heard the message or whatever, and God's already spoken that to me, and I just don't remember. When we want to know what God is saying, what do we do? We go back to what God has said. And so part of this is just, I'm taking everything thought captive, right? I'm bringing it under the obedience of Christ, and I'm also taking the thoughts of God and the wisdom of God captive, and I'm putting it in a place where I can continue to meditate on it and, and remember it, okay? So let's talk about uh, these passages, verses 15 through 23, under the banner of these three prayers that Paul prays for the church 
that become a model of how we can pray for other people, how we can pray for ourselves. And here's the first one. I pray, look at verses 15 through 17, for spiritual wisdom. And he begins this section about praying for spiritual wisdom for the church by thanking God for the strong faith that the church at Ephesus continues to have. Remember, this is several years later. Paul's writing the letter back to the church at Ephesus that he and his team founded, but he's writing under house arrest from Rome. And he says, when I hear about you guys, I just thank God. And let me ask you a question. Is there anything better, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, mentors in the room, than to hear that your children are living out the faith that you've modeled and taught them? You know, John, John says this. Remember, John went on to be one of the pastors of the church at Ephesus. He says in, in 3 John 1, 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the faith. And you can hear that in, in Paul's words here in verse, uh, verse 15. I, I have so much joy and, and, and so much thanksgiving because you guys are living out the faith. And then in verse 16, he continues and he says, you know, I just, I pray for you, what? What's the word there? Constantly. I pray for you constantly and I'm, I'm thankful for you constantly. And I, I just want to make the connection here in verse 16 as we talk about spiritual wisdom. That thankfulness, because Paul says, I'm, I'm just, I thank God constantly and I'm praying for you that prayer and thankfulness go together. If you struggle this morning in the room watching right now, if you struggle with being a thankful person, with being a, a person that's, that's, that's grateful, you know, maybe you struggle, many of us do, with being kind of a, a glass half full type person. You know, it seems like when, that Paul connects thanksgiving and gratitude with prayer. That somehow this subject of prayer and, and him praying, he connects that my heart is full of gratitude and it leads me to pray. And then the more I pray, the more grateful I am. And it just builds on top of one another. I wrote this in my notes. Thankful people are prayerful people. Prayerful people. And prayerful people become thankful people. There's something about that. So if you wrestle with that today, if you wrestle with, with, with being grateful and thankful for the many blessings that you do have, prayer seems to be the key to unlock that. And then verse 17 Paul says, I pray asking the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ to give you what? Spiritual wisdom. What is spiritual wisdom? The, the best interpretation of this phrase is, is a reference to the Holy Spirit that resides in each and every one of us as Christ followers. The day that you chose to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit came into your heart to seal you forever, to never leave you, to never forsake you. And so the best interpretation of verse 17 here, this spiritual wisdom, is that you would have access and understanding to the Spirit of God that lives in you and that he would give you wisdom to impart knowledge and revelation of all things. Go back to verse 13 in chapter 1. Paul says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. But we've got to be, listen to this, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day. Doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit leaves you, absolutely not. It means that you can quench the Spirit by your choices to, to live in an ungodly way. Or you can give space for the Spirit to, to move and work in your life uh, and flood your life by saying yes to the ways of God. If you want to know God and have spiritual wisdom, you've, you've got to, to, to understand that God has imparted his Holy Spirit to you and desires to give you spiritual wisdom and insight as you say yes to him. So let me say it a different way. 
What Paul is not praying here is that you're just going to be a knowledgeable person. You'll have a, a list of facts and understanding. I want you to see the order here in verse 17. He says, I pray for spiritual wisdom that will lead to knowledge. Spiritual wisdom opens the eyes of our heart to, to grow in our knowledge of God and our understanding of God. But it doesn't always work the other way. Sometimes knowledge, if it just stops there, can keep us from following Jesus and loving people. And why do I say that? 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I have all the knowledge in the world, but I have not love. Goes back to John and Jesus speaking through John. Hey, you know, you guys are doctrinally sound. You work really hard, but you've forgotten your first love. And that's the most important thing. You're not doing all things in love. And so it's spiritual wisdom that's imparted to us from the Holy Spirit that leads us to knowledge and knowledge of the truth. And knowledge is important under the banner of spiritual wisdom. Okay, let me say it another way. If I've lost you, come back to me. Okay. Abraham, okay, let's go all the way back to Genesis. Abraham was known, um, and James says this in James 2.23, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as what? is righteousness, the same form of salvation for us today. We believe God. There's nothing that we can do. It's not our name. It's not our pedigree. It's not our, our work. It's not our meritorious behavior. It's none of that. We believe God and God credits to our account righteousness because of Jesus. Abraham believed God. God credited to him as righteousness. But then it also, James also says this in James 2, 23, that Abraham was a, what? Do you remember this? A friend of God. What a statement that Abraham was a friend of God. When God first began to speak to Abraham, Abraham was 75 years old. Abraham worshiped the, the God of the moon and all these different earthly gods. He knew what he thought knowledge about God, but he didn't know God. Now hear, hear me on this. You can know a lot or you can think that you have a lot of knowledge about God, but you don't know God. What Paul is praying here for the church, for, for you and for me, for the church at Ephesus, verses 15 through 17, is that you would have spiritual wisdom to know God, to walk with God, to be a friend of God. I wonder where you're at today. Are you a person who would say, I know a lot about God, but I really don't know God? Paul is praying here that you would know God the way that you know a family member, the way that you know a friend that you would not just know a list of facts about them, but you would know them, that you would experience them. That's his first prayer, prayer. I pray for spiritual wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit that lives in you, that he would open this, the spiritual eyes of your heart to see and experience and to know God. It gets even better, guys, okay? It gets better. Not only does Paul pray for spiritual wisdom, but then he prays for this. Secondly, he prays that your hearts, I pray that your hearts would be flooded with light. Now, true confessions, my, our team knows this here. I wanted to just preach this message today, this one verse. But, but we got to preach the whole passage here, okay? And it's very, the whole passage is important. I'm saying that to say, you could spend a long time on verse 18, and you should. So circle it in your Bibles, write some notes. I hope you are in all the passages, but look at verse 18. Let me just read it to you again. Paul says, I pray, the second I pray, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Whew. 
I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Jesus said in John 14, verse 1, he's, he's gathered on the last night with his disciples, and he says, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'm going to come and find you. And many of you remember the rest of the passage. But I want to come back to that first verse, John 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's easy, if if you're like me, to let your heart be troubled in a troubling world. Hey, I, I, I don't know what's going on in your life today. But I'm willing to bet that many of you walked in today, many of you are watching today with a troubled heart. And the truth is that we live in a troubled world, a world that is not operating the way that God intended it to. And Jesus says on that last night with his disciples, with his followers, don't let your heart, don't let it trouble your heart. What is the the antidote to that? How, How do we not let our hearts be troubled? Jesus says, believe in God. And believe also in me, trust me. Many of us on the outside of our homes may think about this way, this phrase that your hearts be flooded with light. You have a floodlight. You ever wondered about how that got its name, a floodlight? Well, a floodlight is meant to flood a mass area with as much light as possible. It's not a focused light. It's meant to go every direction to flood as much light possible in that dark space. And when you think about verse 18, Ephesians 1, I want you to think about that in your hearts that can be troubled and can be full of fear and and darkness and pain and disappointment and confusion. Paul says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with the light of Jesus. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I'm the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And so here's the deal though, guys. It's not enough just to say to your troubled heart, your darkened heart, your fearful heart, your disappointed heart that all of us might be carrying in here today with, in some form or fashion, it's not enough to just to say to your heart, don't be dark anymore. Does that work for any of you? Does it work when you're afraid to just say, don't be afraid and to shame yourself for feeling afraid? It, do, it doesn't work for me. Now I feel even worse about myself because I am afraid. Don't be disappointed. Don't be confused. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what Paul says. He says, I pray that your hearts would would be flooded with light because when your hearts are flooded with light, darkness will will, will flee. Here's the thing. The only way, like we we could sit here and try to get air out of of a container. If this this is our hearts, we we could just try to get air out of here and we could try to get the substance that's in and out, but, but, but it doesn't work. And, and, and I could yell at it and say, air, get out of the cup. And I could try to shame it and I could do all kinds of things, but it doesn't work. Do you know what gets air out of this cup? Another substance. How about that? There's no air in there. It's gone. It's gone. This is the same thing for your heart. The the only way to get what's in your heart out is to flood it with something else. I hope you'll never forget this. That That it's not about looking at your heart and saying, just stop being afraid, stop being disappointed, stop being broken, get out of here, darkness. No, it's flooded with Jesus. And the more truth that I pour into my heart, the more hope that I pour into my heart, the more light that I allow Jesus to pour into my heart, not only does it fill me, but it also casts out the darkness and the disappointment. 
It cast out the pain. And so Paul says, hang on here. Paul says, I, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. I, I, I pray that that floodlight would turn on and that not only would it fill your heart, but it would cast everything else out of, out of your heart. Because it's not enough just to say, get out. It's, it's filling your heart with something else. And then it gets, it, gets even, it gets even better. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. But that, that's not the end, right? So that, whenever you see a so that in the Bible, you should circle it. So that you can understand, this is incredible, the confident hope that those of us who believe in Jesus have. That we are his glorious inheritance, he finishes verse 18 by saying. And so I, I just want to explain this really quick, this phrase, confident hope. If you, if you don't get anything else out of the message, I hope you'll get this. That for those of you who believe in Jesus, who are Christians, who are Christ followers, who are disciples of the way, that you have access to a confident hope, not in yourself or your circumstances, but in Jesus. And this is different, right? A confident hope, as it's explained here by Paul in verse 18, circle it in your Bible, dot it, underline it. A confident hope is not arrogance. Arrogance comes from self. And actually, Tim Keller says this, that arrogance and self-pity or struggling with self-image or insecurity and self, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Okay? If you struggle with insecurity, which I think all of us do at times, right? I'm not alone, right? Oh, no, no now I'm going to get insecure here. I'm not the only one, right? We all struggle with insecurity. Insecurity and pride are actually two sides of the same coin. And the coin is self. Because I think, I think I think better of myself, I'm pretty good. I had a really good day. I scored well on a test or I did well, and it leads to arrogance or pride. Or I feel bad about myself and it leads to insecurity and fear. And so Paul is not describing an arrogance, but of course he's not describing an insecurity. But he's also not describing wishfulness or ignorance. He doesn't say just, I, I hope it works out. Let's just, uh, let's just hope for the best, guys. Let's just, let's just, you know, I wish good things for you. No, it's not, it's not arrogance in self. It's not ignorance or wishfulness and circumstances or things that can't be known. It's a confident hope in who Jesus is. Past, present, and future. And so I can walk, if you struggle with insecurity, if you struggle with arrogance or pride, the answer, again, is to not shame yourself out of that, but to be filled with a confident hope not in yourself, but in Jesus. I can have a confident hope because of Christ. So Paul says, I pray. I pray that you'll have spiritual wisdom. I, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. Here's, here's the third thing, the final thing, the, fi the final I pray. I pray finally, verses 19 through 23, that you will understand God's power for us who believe. That you'll understand the power of God. Now in context, just really quickly, Ephesus was one of the five major cities in the Roman Empire. It was a place of enormous power and wealth. It was a place of commerce as a port city on the Aegean Sea. It was a place of spiritual worship of, of Artemis, the, the, the goddess of nature, the, the supposed daughter of Zeus. And it was a place where most people would flock to, to gain financial power or positional power or spiritual power, not unlike the very city that we find ourselves in. And not unlike many cities in the world where the ultimate quest is for power. And nothing is lost on the Apostle Paul 
as he writes back to the believers who live in that context where everybody's looking and searching for power and trying to step on everybody else to get a leg up and to get power. And he says, actually, I pray that you will understand the power that you have as believers in Jesus. And he goes even further, look at verse 19, this third prayer, this third I pray. He says, I pray that you would know the greatness of God's power, the very same power. Uh, our, our New City worship team has written a song called Same Power that, that comes out uh, in February. And it's written off of this passage and a passage in Romans, this same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And we live and we move and we have our being in this power of Jesus that we have access to because we believe in him. And so he says, I want you to understand this same power that, if you're taking notes, three things, raised Jesus from the dead, that's all, brought someone back to life, verse 20, that seated Jesus at the right hand of God the Father's side, verse 20b, and then finally, that the same power that gave Jesus authority, verses 21 through 23, over all things. And again, if you're taking notes, maybe just write this. These three, these three things that, that Paul says um, really prove the power of God that you have access to. The resurrection, placing Jesus at the right hand of the Father on the throne, and then thirdly, giving Jesus authority over all things. And if you're taking notes, maybe write this. Past present, future. I pray that you would know the greatness of God, the same power, the same greatness of his power that raised Jesus from the dead, that seated him at the place of honor, that signified the right, the right hand was a place of lordship. It was a place of honor. And that's where Jesus is seated today in the present, interceding on our behalf. And then finally, that God has given Jesus authority over all things, and he fills all things with his presence. And Paul says in verse 22, this is to the benefit of the church, his body. It's to our benefit that God has given Jesus authority over all things. Now, this is just, you know, for, for me, this is pretty cool. Because Jesus' final words, right, to his disciples before his ascension is the great commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus begins that little section in verse 18. He says, do you remember? It's really interesting. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. In other words, I'm vesting my authority. All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. And I'm vesting it now in the body, in the church, in you to go and to make disciples until I return again that you would go and live on mission. Paul concludes chapter one, this powerful chapter. I mean, and, and there's even more to come here, guys. Every single word is so powerful here. But he concludes chapter one by reminding the church at Ephesus and reminding us, his church, with these two simple, powerful words. I pray. I pray for you 
that you'll have spiritual wisdom, that your hearts will be flooded with light that leads to a confident hope, not arrogance, not wishfulness, but a confident hope. And I, and I pray, I pray that you'll understand God's power, the same power that raised him from the dead, the same power that seated Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the same power that has given Jesus authority over all things and now fills all things with his life and his love. Final thought here, okay? Going back to Revelation chapter two and this this one thing that Jesus says I have against you, church at Ephesus, the one thing that I rebuke you and wanna correct you for is you've lost your first love. So it should beg the question for each of us as the church, as followers of Jesus, how do we not forget and lose our first love? And you wanna know the way to not lose your first love, your love for God, your love for people, living all truth out in love as God's called us to? To pray. Because prayer is our constant communion and connection with God. And when we pray like this, when we pray prayers like this that Paul prays right in front of us, we connect our hearts again to the truth of who we are and who God is and who other people are. And we hold on passionately to our first love, to love God, to love other people. Here's a, here's a practical application today for this message I pray. Some of you may not know that we have a prayer team here at our church that, that prays for everybody who calls New City their home and anybody who sends any prayer request in or writes a prayer request, we pray for every single week. And we send those out every Monday. And so I wanna invite you just by way of an application, if you're looking for a practical next step to this message, I pray, to be a part of our prayer team. And you can do that. We're gonna send an email today. Um, Pastor Nick Schreiber is gonna send an email uh, probably over lunchtime to each of you who are on our email list. And there's a form that you can fill out to sign up for our prayer team. If you're not on that email list, if you don't get emails from us, we'd love to be able to send those to you. But you can go to this link, newcity.us slash I pray. Newcity.us slash I pray and fill out the form. Here's, here's the second thing that, that you'll get with that is we're forming care teams at, our, at all of our locations uh, to not only pray, but also to go further in tangible ways to serve people, to uh, prepare meals, to drive people to appointments, to just care for one another as a, as a body of, of Christ. And so just want to encourage you maybe as a practical step today, as you listen to this message about prayer and you think about people that God's calling you to pray for, uh, to take a next step, to, to join that team and get the email every week and pray for the needs of our church or maybe even join the care team uh, and, and join us in that effort to, to care well for the people who call uh, New City their home. Uh, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this word today. Uh, thank you through the Apostle Paul for modeling to us how to pray. So many of us wrestle with how do we pray and, and what does that look like and, and, and what would that sound like? And I pray that this prayer that, that Paul prayed today would be, would be a model for us, that we would meditate on these words and that you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, would empower us and help us and remind us of the power of prayer, connecting our heart uh, to your heart. So we give you honor, we give you glory today, and we ask that you would give us wisdom to know what you're speaking specifically to us today. And I also pray that you would give us faith and courage to live that out. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. I was broken and afraid and powerless. I was trapped within my sin and hopelessness. I was lost in the dark 
all alone I was wandering with nowhere to go He saw me in the valley of my shame And he reached out to me and called my the same power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is alive in me. And the same power, the same power that rolled the heavy stone away is alive in me. And now I'm falling out.
Thank you so much for being here today. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to meet you. I'll I'll be up front here afterwards. We'd love to say hello to you. And if you're looking to get connected here at New City and make this your home, we'd love for that uh, to to be the case. Uh, The easiest way is to go to Connection Point, which is right out the doors here in the foyer. We'd love to talk to you about how to get in a group or get on a team serving here and and get further connected uh, at the church. If you're able, would you extend your hands uh, for a blessing before we go today? Now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and and lift up his countenance towards you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his peace and his love and his power. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Loving you, sitting.